Hi there, my name's Laura and I'm the back half of Stella Tandem, a record-breaking attempt to cycle around the world in 2022 on Tandem Bicycle. Um, and in the run-up to this trip, we've been speaking to people from the worlds of cycling and endurance, and I'm delighted to say to be speaking to Christina McKenzie, who um, I had a fantastic time dot-watching earlier this year as she broke the Lee Jog, so the Land's End John O'Groats record, in a staggering time of 51 hours, five minutes and 27 seconds, um, covering the approximately 840 mile route. So a, a completely staggering achievement. So first of all, Christina, I want to say a massive congratulations on, on that feat. Thanks, Laura, and thanks for having the invite to come and speak with you. No, no, it's, it's great to hear from you. Um, and I suppose, first of all, I wanted to kind of start at the very beginning because I'm always quite interested to know, have you, have you always been like mega sporty? Have you always been like really competitive or, or kind of, has this kind of come about later in life or a bit more gradually? Yeah, a bit of both really. Um, growing up, I was always sporty and always probably kind of like your tomboy running outside and playing on bikes and that kind of um, childhood, but didn't really sort of take it up probably because coming from the Outer Hebrides, we probably had limited opportunities um, when I was growing up. Um, and the fact that, you know, if we did, we were in the local swim club, so we didn't have much competition and, you know, to get away traveling and things like that. So we were kind of restricted. So it was probably more for the fun element, um, which was really good. But then I did a bit of cross country and running 5Ks at that point. But I probably never really picked it up until um, 2012. Um, just under 10 years ago there um, I thought I'm going to do a first 10k just to raise money for macmillan cancer um, but my dad died of that when I was 18 so I thought you know that would be just a nice kind of charity event raise some money at the same time get fit kind of motivation so it really just kind of stemmed from there and it just grew arms and legs so the 10k run turned into a half marathon marathons to then when I wasn't running I liked cycling and swimming to triathlons to doing starting off at sprint distance triathlon olympic half ironman and then I went on I've done seven ironman since then um but then that's when I kind of figured that I kind of have an engine as opposed to a sprinter so being 44 years old um I'm probably not going to, I'm never going to be I was never a sprinter anyway so it's just kind of really developing that engine even further now. So yeah, it was 2012, I bought my first road bike to do triathlon. And then a few years later, I bought my time trial bike and sort of found the niche for time trial and long distance cycling. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it, it is definitely a, a bit of a bug that um, these things seem to escalate quite quickly, um, I think, once you get into the ultra distance. And it's interesting what you say, because we've spoken to a few people and it comes up a few times that particularly the um, ultra endurance stuff, it does seem to be something that, that females seem to have um, good attributes to boards and there doesn't seem to be an age limit on it. And I certainly know like in the ultra distance running scene, as well as the cycling scene, there's some, some very strong kind of older women. So I'd, I'd say you, you you might not have reached your prime yet. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I think you just kind of settle into it and you can probably just endure it more. I think when you get to that and then probably with the mindset as well. Yeah. And you were obviously um, quite competitive with, with that. Um, 
how did how did you then kind of branch out from that from it's, it's kind of a bit different doing um kind of events to going after a world re record what was the what was the link there yeah when I started when I moved to Stirling in 2016 um I joined Stirling Bike Club and they've got a really big team really good um there was well there was that kind of group of people that used to go down to the 24-hour um, Mercy Roads the Nationals which everyone kind of in endurance really knows that one so it was that was a real kind of good introduction to their um to the long distance meeting or not even meeting it was really kind of like seeing the likes of Mike Broadwith and um Yasmin that she was attempting Land's End to John O'Groats around about that time um doing the 24 hours I'm thinking I'm never doing it again <laughs> to then going back again the following year you know, with more of a goal because I was just under 400 miles the first time I tried it. I thought, well, I can't leave it. It was like 397. I thought, I can't leave it like that. You know, I'm sure I can do more than 400. So I went back the following year and got 428. Um, and then at that point, the really kind of the land's end or the end to end, that was really kind of a focal point, probably 2017, 2018, when Mike went. And I remember actually looking at the map and looking at Estrava and going, that's just ridiculous. That, you know, you looked at it and it was just like complete amazement and knowing that he's averaging like 30 kilometres an hour for that length of time. And then obviously see what he endured to do it. And then obviously the women's record as well, seeing Jasmine doing it, trying to attempt that. And I thought, you know, maybe it is a possibility. So rather than thinking, well, I'll go back and do another 24 and see if I can up my time. Um, myself and one of the girls in the support team um, that used to come down with the 24 I think it was probably over a few drinks over a few glasses of wine that we got <laughs> chat and then it kind of one thing led to another and then before we knew it we we'd agreed that I was going to do it and she was going to be a support team and we we're going to get a full support team on the basis of that so then waking up in the morning and was like do you remember what you agreed to like no what <laughs> what was that so then it was really just put the team in place to see if the other guys, if they would be keen for it and they were all up for it. They didn't need to take too much persuasion. So I think, you know, when you say it out loud and when you kind of like vocalise it, it's kind of put in stone. So there's no going back after that. Yeah, definitely. And we kind of had that moment where I'd, I'd been kind of nudging Steve for a while. I'd had the thought put in my head um, about the tandem record by the two tandem ladies. Um, who who currently hold the female record and has been nudging Stevie a bit and then we uh, maybe a similar event we had a lot of friends around for a, a summer party and um we all stood around and suddenly this kind of this idea came out and um after that it kind of feels like this you, you said it out loud now there's no going back but yeah the rest um, is history after that as you say <laughs> yeah and it's all now sparrowed out all, all control and i'll just mention um you mentioned michael broad with uh, um i believe his record was in 2018 he broke kind of a yeah. 19 year old world record um and his his time was um 43 hours four, um yeah 43 hours hours and um 25 minutes and 13 seconds i believe so he is it's, it's just mind-blowing isn't it's it it's incredible and, it really is yeah and I think the thing about Lee Jog is it's kind of it's quite an iconic route, and I'm I'm actually not quite sure if it, this sort of thing exists in many other countries. But um, I can certainly remember growing up and getting into cycling as much as I didn't get into long distance until quite a lot later. That I could 
always had this thing about the lands and John O'Groats route and I said oh it'd be amazing to do and um you know how long would it take and how would you do it and kind of looking at it on the map is um pretty spectacular and we were very lucky that we rode it much much slower <laughs> last year but it's 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 amazing amazing feat um but the the kind of race route itself I believe is is fairly set obviously there are many many ways to ride from London to John O'Groats but is is that kind of almost literally the same it, or did you have kind of any variations from say Michael's route or what what um, Jasmine had tried or is it literally there are these roads and that's it? Yeah it is really the same route um, other than you know one of us might have sort of taken a kind of a an off-course route around an industrial estate or around a couple of roundabouts, um, but generally it is the same route. It's kind of like the fastest um, or the kind of most direct, really, because you see the people that do it from, you know, that take five, six days that they kind of maybe go over a different side that they obviously don't go up the A9 and they avoid the busy roads. So you could probably look at the downside to us is that we do go on the busy roads, you know, the A30 starting off with, which is nearly like a motorway in itself. It was really busy. Um, and then the A9, which you don't really get many cyclists on that. In fact, I don't think you get any cyclists. In fact, if I was driving along there, I'd be wondering what a cyclist was doing there <laughs> myself. But thankfully, you know, you have your support vehicles behind and then you've got support up in front as well. So that you're giving the cars directions and that they know that you're going to be on there and you're there for a reason. But yeah, these, it's probably the most direct route for that. I wouldn't say it's the flattest route, but it's most direct. Yeah. And yeah, I suppose um, there's been a lot of work put in over the years to try and figure out, yeah, what's going to kind of be the most efficient way to travel out the country. Um, so did you literally have a support vehicle kind of shadowing you all the way? I know, for example, Mark Beaumont's around the world record. He um, he used a kind of camper van or um, a motorhome behind him a lot of the way. And I think certainly on the busier roads, that obviously makes a, a massive difference. Yeah, behind I had um, a support vehicle that was basically the backup vehicle that had all the maintenance parts in it as well as all the mechanics and that, um, and my brother. So they were literally driving behind me just about the whole time, obviously with the signage and the beacon as well. So if I had any mechanicals or anything, which thankfully, you know, over that distance, I didn't have one mechanical, not one puncher, nothing you know, and I, I had a whole van full of spares and whatnot there. So they were behind me the whole time, which was really good because you felt quite protected going up um, like these busy roads there. But there was times, you know, when you're climbing a hill and, you know, when you know that there's a car behind you and you just hear it just going so slowly and you're like, just overtake me, just overtake me. <laughs> but at the same time, it was really reassuring. And then I had a camper van up ahead as well. So there's two in the camper van and then another two bearing in mind that we've got the RRA officials and timekeepers with us as well so they're part of that um, team but that was really handy just having the camper van up ahead because it means that I, you know I mean that I could didn't have to rely on facilities for changing and for you know um, any comfort breaks that could just jump on the camper van whatever I needed to do just go in there um, and then because I was getting hand ups every hour as well so the team that was in the car, so they were basically giving me a hand up and then leapfrogging me. And then, you know, within an hour again, that was them, another hand up. So they were on the go the whole time. The camper van were on the go the whole time. So if I got no sleep, you know, I don't think that they got much sleep between themselves either. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's an important thing to, to point out. There was there was 
barely any you know certainly no sleep and barely any any rest on this attempt by the, the look of it it was there but um obviously that does take a huge amount of support and um the team you had behind you uh, you know as much a part of this record as you are I'd say because I, I imagine you just couldn't you know there's no way you could attempt something like that without such a support team um, and just give us kind of an idea how many people were involved and what kind of roles did you have I mean was there any time or space for things like a physio or um, how did that kind of pan out in terms of your team? Yeah so in general so I've got four of my friends that live um, in Stirling, we're all members of Stirling Bike Club. So we're really friends and this is what it really just kind of evolved from. So it's the fact that, you know, we started off as friends and then this kind of grew. Um, so we've obviously got closer and because I basically put my trust and my confidence in them the whole time. Um, since, you know, not having any sleep, knowing that they're looking out for you, that they're going to pull you in at any time if they feel, you know, it's not, if it's unsafe. Um, so they were really instrumental in the whole planning and the organisation of it, you know, from organising the hotels, the transfer, because, you know, although we were only on the road for two days, it was still two days to get down to Land's End and then a day back as well. So it was five days in total that we were literally on the road put together. But it was a planning that was to do beforehand because we had tried to attempt it in 2020, but then with COVID and the restrictions, we decided not to. So then we had to book the hotels. So it's booking hotels in advance. And then when you've, only, when you've got a weather window, so you don't have an actual date. So you're booking hotels, you know, with flexibility and the cancellation so that you know that you have a room, but at the same time that you can cancel them. So the logistics behind that, um, and then just the transport all the way back up there as well, um, and then to get in sponsorship for it as well, because it's quite a costly event to do there because you're paying for all that, and then you're also paying for the officials and timekeepers as well. But I think just in general, having the guys there as the support, you know, just morale, encouragement, um, even the days that I'm doing my training days or, you know, even through the winter, you know, they'll always check in on me, see how I'm doing. Um, some of them were coming out, joining me in some of the rides as well, or meet them for coffee or with a lot of coffee stops. So that was really important because, you know, when you're doing endurance cycling, you're on your own for a lot of the time. And, you know, you do give up your weekends, you give up your social life, really. So when you're seeing other people out, so going out at the weekends and having a great time and you're kind of questioning your sanity, why you're not going out because you're going to bed at you know, early because you're going to be up early and you're doing back-to-back 200-mile -back sessions. So it's really good having that support there. Um, and then my brother, he's from the Outer Hebrides as well, from Stornoway. So he came over as well. So he was part of that. He was, like I said, with his van. Um, and he was in the mechanics van there with everything behind as well. So it was nice having him with us as well because knowing that, you know, my brother was part of it as well. So it was just, you know, I mean, you, you couldn't do it without them, you know, and I wouldn't want to do it with anyone other than these guys because, you know, we've built up that bond um, and just knowing that I trust them 100 percent. Yeah, and I was I was going to say that, um, yeah, you know, it must be really important to get to know everybody beforehand. And, you know, it's something that we won't <laughs> we won't have the luxury of it just be the two of us on the road. But, yeah, it certainly <laughs> comes across that you need to as much as we need to be a really good team on the road. If you're reliant on people, um, you, you know, having that kind of background, having worked with them before, I think is, yeah. is, is really, really key. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you 
you mentioned kind of the weather window there um and that must be kind of a huge huge deal because um we spoke to Richard Thoddy very early on in the podcast and he suffered some awful weather going over Shap on his attempt on a penny farthing um but I mean you must have needed or to have almost kind of perfect weather as much as UK weather is ever perfect to to have a, a good chance at breaking this attempt so how much flexibility did you have did you have weeks did was it days or was it the case of you know you might just have to go for it no, it was really just 10 days because, you know, we all work full time. Yeah. Um, we all sort of had that time that we can only take off work. And at the same time, it was probably easier this time, the fact that no one was going away on holidays anyway. So we're kind of stuck in Scotland or England. So we literally had from the 25th of July till I think it was like the 4th, 5th of August was when, you know, the start and the last day that we could go. So that time or the lead up to it was just horrendous because you're looking at the weather you're looking at every website you're looking at every app trying to get you know the best conditions to look at to see for the rain the wind and putting everything together and it was the time there it was just after, a couple of weeks after we had that really warm spell and the weather just or the forecast just seemed to be all over the place but bearing in mind that we obviously had to give 48 hours notice to the RRA but it would take us three days to get down there anyway because we were or three days to plan to go down because we were staying the first night halfway at Gloucester and then the second night so we weren't traveling all down together in one go so the first the 25th it was like a complete northerly wind so that was a complete write-off and then it was looking like the next day was the same and then I'm looking ahead and I'm like oh no it looks like all northerlies and then there's lots of rain so like you're looking at the weather and you think oh you just want to cry because it just looks so bad and you think you're never going to get an opportunity and then you're like well do I take it now do I not take it so unfortunately it was only well it was the 28th that we went um because it was planned the Wednesday or the Thursday looked really quite good but for that distance you're never going to get perfect conditions you know you're going to get probably good conditions which we did in England and then when you come through to Scotland you know that's when the elements are going to hit you hard and that's really what happened but so we decided on the Sunday that we were going to start for the on that Wednesday and I think once the decision had been made it was probably more of a relief because you thought well there's nothing that you can do now and if the weather does change you know you have to sort of take the confidence that you've done enough training that that will get you through so long as it's not a tail or a headwind the whole way you know you that you can get by yeah so thankfully yeah. it did well we had a great tailwind all the way up the a30 so that was really nice for the first six hours and then as the planned you know coming into scotland or as we had kind of forecasted but it didn't kind of forecast the headwind that we did get and it wasn't too bad rain wise and there's a lot of crosswinds um but i mean in general i can't complain because you know like you said you'll never get 100 percent of what you want so we just kind of had to make do with it and it wasn't too much rain just, just... it was localized showers well i remember that in bristol because it was really really heavy showers there but it was really warm and you could see the blue skies and you it was just passing and then there was no point in stopping to change to put any more clothes on because you were dry quickly as soon as the rain stopped with the heat. Yeah, so I think that's pretty good going for UK weather, isn't it? Because even even in the summer yeah. months, it could have it could have been a complete torrential downpour. And yeah, 
I'm sure we've had certainly, you know, that amount of time where it's just rained solidly in a row in the UK. So, yeah, it does sound like you were relatively yeah. lucky. Um, and as you mentioned, though, like the training leading up to this um, must have been key because it's, it's obviously it's not just as simple as riding your bike really, really fast. Um, <laughs> and as, as you say, you know, you, you work full time. So how did you kind of factor in your, your training around your work? Did you have a very set program? Um, what was what was your strategy leading up to it? It was a bit mixed, really, to be honest, because prior to, well, probably hit the peak at 2020, um, but then obviously not been able to do it. So at that point there, I was able to do the um, National 12 RTT. So at least I kind of was able to put some of my training into good kind of stead for that. And it was a good kind of training day as well. But prior to that, you know, I've been doing lots of gym work, which I probably hadn't done in the past. Um, lots of threshold, lots of hill work, which for me, that was just completely new just more enduring and kind of like suffering pain whereas you know doing two minute hill reps and vo2 max at you know 30 seconds that is the stuff that you kind of think you know that your legs are just burning and your lungs are going to burst so it was quite interesting to or it was quite daunting probably the first time looking at my training plan and seeing that was what I was going to be doing I'm thinking there's no way that I could do it but your body just adapts to it and you do get used to it and then between that, probably midweek and then longer rides at the weekend were kind of back to back days. And then probably the lead out to it was six weeks prior to it. Did a really good session because um, a couple of weeks before that, I was really doing 200 mile back to back days just to kind of build up the fatigue and the resistance. Then we had over four days doing three 200 mile days. Um, so it was like 12 hour days. So it was like back to back to back. So, and it was all, well, the total of these three days was 10,000 meters. So it was the same, same amount of climbing. So it wasn't just like I was doing flat routes, but you know, it was a gateway. It was kind of like plotting around um, all over Scotland, up around the Highlands or around sort of Perthshire, um, looking at different scenery that I hadn't been to before. So it was really nice. But then I suppose the, novel, the novelty wore off after like day two. I was like, oh no, I know which hill's coming because each route was kind of a slight variation. And like some of these these hills were just killers. So it was literally after the first day coming home and then just showering, eating, getting to bed, and then be up at five o'clock in the morning, breakfast, and getting ready to go again, same thing. So it was like eat, sleep, repeat, eat, sleep, train, repeat. And on the third day, I just thought, oh, why am I doing this? You know, it was just completely so fatigued and my body at that point even before starting was probably depleted so going into that and knowing that this is what I had to do just this would be the last long one before the kind of like the big one so I knew that mentally I had to get that done but the wind was just horrendous and I remember being a 20 mile stretch of wind for in a headwind and I just thought this is never ending and it was just there's a lock beside me I just thought I wanted to just throw my bike in the lock and just get a bus home or something <laughs> And then in the final part, I knew that I had two big, or uh, I suppose at one point I thought they were big hills, but now they're just kind of relatively kind of wee digs um, to go home. And then I thought, well, I could just go home because it started raining at that point. So at that point, it was kind of a mental game. So I'm thinking, well, I'm trying to tell myself if I do that, that's kind of like the equivalent of doing Benadale and Helmsdale. 
you know, the last two climbs that on the way home? Or do you just go home and just kind of like cut it short? But I knew that I just had to do it. So doing that and then just coming home after that, just completely wrecked. I think that was just, it got my body really used to it and that getting to that stage um, and then just to be able to recover after that. So it was a complete variation um, and it was really good because it just kept me really motivated because, you know, it, was, it wasn't the same thing I was doing all the time, different types of sessions. And then like I said, going into the gym as well, building up the core and the strength and condition as well, because when you're in that kind of TT position for that length of time, just to make sure that everything's supple. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's not just about, about your legs when you, you've got to sit in the bike for that long. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting what you say that it sounds, you know, that was a lot of work building up your, your mental endurance as well as your physical endurance. And mm. as I think any long distance cyclist will know, it's, it's very much as much a game of your mind as it is of your physicality yeah. too. So, yeah, it sounds like you had a, a really really strong plan there um and really good strategy um one thing i noticed that was kind of interesting that um a lot of riders um particularly in the ultra endurance events seem to be like riding to power or heart rate or wattage um i think one of your your um thoughts or blog mentioned that you actually rode to speed through this um this challenge which is is a little bit different um so yeah just to find out the reasoning behind that and how you found that and yeah whether that were how that worked out for you yeah, well, knowing that um, what the record that I had to beat was 52 hours, 45 minutes, so that would give an average of 15.9 miles an hour. So knowing as well that when I stop, the clock doesn't stop. So it was really quite good to sort of try and get a buffering from the start. So at the start there, I was watching my heart rate and my power. So just making sure that my heart rate just stayed in zone two, that I wasn't overexerting, that I wasn't, you know, yourself, that if you go out too hard early on, you just, you're going to pay for it in the end. So just keeping an eye on my heart rate, just to make sure that it still kept low. And with the power as well, I was watching that, but not being sort of caught up with it. Just making sure that when I was going up the hills, I was just putting into a low gear and spinning. Um, and not sort of going too high there but it was able it was great to be able just to keep your average pace to see that because after I'd come off for the first stop probably about eight hours in um, 200 odd miles I was averaging about 19 miles an hour so and my heart rate was 136 35 so it was kind of going down and my pace was going up but that was obviously just because I had a really good start with the tailwind and then the draft of the cars you know the cars just going by on the A30 so just with the fast moving cars so it's kind of got the momentum from there so to be able to create a buffering for that um, and knowing that you know it doesn't matter how slow that I was going that I just kept moving so that average pace would just kind of still keep at it so I just knew that it couldn't drop to 16 miles an hour so then when I got up to Sharp that's when we had planned that um, in Penrith we'd have an hour stop and during that hour I'd sleep for 20 minutes but as I was going up sharp I thought you know what I'm still averaging about 18 miles an hour at that point I wanted to just sort of keep going if it was if I was going to sleep it would be a forced sleep and I didn't feel ready to sleep so I went in and the guys were there I just thought well because at that point I said you know any decisions that are going to be made after 12 hours they're going to be made by you guys because I know that I'm not going to be in any mental state to make my own decisions so I went in and said you know what about this you know just carry on going and they just went yeah that's fine yeah 
go on, get some food, get some um, change, and then get out of here. <laughs> so part of me was like thinking that, you know, I might have to try and convince them or they would like be convincing me, but it was a case of, no, no, they were happy to go like that. But that was really good after because I only stopped there for 25 minutes. So it meant that my average pace had, hadn't dropped down much at all. So I was still averaging about 18 miles an hour at that point. So it gave me that buffering that if I did want to sleep, that I could, or if I wanted to sort of stop for any length of time that I could do, not any length of time, but for a short time I could do. So it was just constantly watching that average pace, really, and just making sure that it doesn't drop too much. Yeah, and it's um, I've I've kind of done my little training rides of yeah, like that where you're kind of watching the clock all the time, and I just can't imagine trying to hold that for that that duration. I can just about manage it for a couple of hours, but yeah, that's it's it's mind blowing. And did you did you have like a a target that you wanted to break the record by, or was it anything goes? You just wanted to scrape something off it because it's it's it was a hard record, wasn't it? So, what was there a, a specific aim? Yeah, no, absolutely. And my schedule was for 52 and a half hours. So that would have been 15 minutes of it. But fortunate with the way that everything went, I was able to sort of keep above the schedule the whole time. So I think going into it, you know, if you had said, you know, if you beat it by five minutes, I'd been delighted. And then when I was coming up to up before Helmsdale, so that was the first of the big climbs, um, I think at that point it was probably about an hour and a half ahead of schedule. And I was thinking to myself, that can't be right. Well, I knew it was right, but at the same time, I, mean, I just couldn't believe it, you know, that I'd got that far ahead. And I was just like, felt there was really good, it was a really good feeling to know that I could sort of spin up the hills there and not sort of be pressurized with time wise. Um, and then I thought, you know what, an hour and a half, I thought, I wonder if I can sort of extend that a wee bit further, you know, if I could sort of. <laughs> reach it because you know I know that there's you know there's um other people there that are interested in doing the record as well and I thought you know anyone can come up behind me so I thought well maybe I can just sort of well I've got um powder my legs as well I might as well just kind of empty the tank now as I can um so I think just get on the, on past an hour and a half and then realizing once I got to the finish it was an hour and 40 minutes I mean never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that I could have exceeded it by that much um to achieve that I mean yeah I just to me in, in itself I look at the map now and I look at the uploads and I just can't believe that I did that yeah no it is yeah it is truly amazing and yeah you have certainly made it a, a very hard record to beat so best is just anybody that tries but yeah I, I think hopefully it should stand for for quite a while um and then um you know we often find on the bigger rides that you you especially over that duration of time you go through kind of various phases and mood swings do you have any like really low points where you felt you couldn't go through it and then did you have any points where you came out the other side and and it, it kind of on top of the world as it were yeah absolutely I think it was like physically and mentally it was like a roller coaster you know, starting off, you know, you're fresh and you're ahead of schedule and, you know, you feel good. And the first stop there, you're chatting away and it's all really good. Um, and then coming into the likes of Preston there, where it just got really dark and it was grey and it was like through the night and it was just like really miserable. And then you're kind of like questioning yourself and you're thinking, oh, what am I doing? But then, you know, you see someone on the side of the road, they offer you a banana and some jelly beans and you're happy. And, you know, you're kind of like a wee bit of motivation. And then, you know, you've got another kind of spring in your step. So you're off there again. 
But I think the main kind of the point when we came into Gretna Green, there was that stretch of road all the way up to Abington, and it's just a horrendous stretch of road. It's false flats, it was into a headwind, it was just really dull, really horrible, and really sore. Um, and I remember just like looking straight ahead, and all I could see was straight ahead. And I couldn't see, you know, when the road was going to end and then turn to the next corner. And it was the same again and again and again. But, you know, I've ridden that road before. So I knew what was ahead of me. And but I thought, you know, I just want to put the van or the bike in the back of the van and just like curl up and cry and just like. But then I thought, you know what, I've worked too hard. You know, there's too many people that have come out. They supported me. I was doing it for Alzheimer's Scotland as well for a charity. So there's so many people that were had already donated. So that was the real thing that just kept me going. And then the guys, you know, the support team at the low points, they would um, they, they would surprise me and hand me up one of a uh, millionaire shortbread. When um, there was a wee treat when I thought I was going to be getting a wrap or a gel or something. And it was something simple like that. That would just like completely perk me up again. And then like on the A9 going into, or before going on to the A9, there was a group of um, support, mostly from Stranding Bike Club, on, at the roundabout in Perth and it was so nice they were just like cheering me on like I felt bad because I couldn't stop and have a week in a chat with them but you know it was, just, it was like a really nice send-off knowing that I was heading on up to the A9 where I was going to be for the next six hours so just like thinking back there and then seeing that some of them were going up ahead and then going into the laybys and stopping so that was a really kind of just as a good sidetrack and then you're obviously on the A9 in the dead of the night, which is not a nice place to be. And I had no sleep. And then I was okay going up the climbs because I was warm. And then I remember getting cold at one point because coming down the descent and then having to get more clothes to put on and then having too much clothes on. And then I wanted to take the clothes off. But I probably didn't. I just didn't know what I wanted because, you know, your mind's playing games with you and you're kind of sleep deprived, you're fatigued. But then coming into Inverness at three o'clock in the morning to sound of bagpipes. <laughs> oh, amazing. You know, my friend's son was playing, the 13 years old, playing the bagpipes, and then there's a group of support along there. I'm like, I thought at that point I was hallucinating. I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, I just did not expect them at all. And it's just a complete eye-opener. So to see that was just fantastic. Um, and then I think just, like, the support along the well when I say the final straight there was probably still 150 miles to go that was just really motivating and I think I probably that was just kind of trying to sort of get away from all the pain that my body was in you know I couldn't get comfortable and you know it was just a case where you've got this part to do then that part to do but it was really just the motivation and then support team that I mean they were so encouraging towards the end there as well and just making sure as well safety wise that it was okay, that it was compassmentous, that I was riding my bike straight and getting a couple of beeps in that, you know, in case they thought that was not enough. Yeah. Oh, wow. It sounds like you had amazing support all the way up there. And yeah, I'm pretty sure they, they appreciated why you couldn't stop and say hi. Um, and yeah, I think that must have really made it. Um, and as you say, yeah, it's um, it's sometimes the small motivations that, that keep you going. And um, for me, as, as well as you, it sounds food can be a massive part of that. Did you did you have a specific nutrition strategy or was it just whatever you felt like? I mean, 
yeah, the 52 hours is kind of long enough that you need to be sensible to some extent, but as well, yeah, it's those millionaire shortbreads so that can really turn you around sometimes. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely, because I knew that, I mean, that's what kind of discovered me before, because I was having sort of um, reflux problems and, you know, with the digestion. So throughout all the training rides, that's what I had just really sort of tried and tested everything to see what worked. So it was just um, Mountain Pools, that product there, that um, the flapjacks and the gels and the energy drinks. So I was getting hand ups every hour. So it was a combination of I'd get a bottle and on the bottle there'd be an elastic tied round with it. We'd either have a wrap, which was basically just cheese and ham, but it was the best cheese and ham wrap ever. <laughs> it was just really good, really savoury. But then the next time I could have the flapjack, which that was probably a wee bit sweeter. Um, and then the gel, which was just functional. That was just, you know, it had everything that I needed in there. Um, and then just mixing up the flavours of the drinks as well to make sure that I wasn't drinking the same kind of flavour each time. So the team, like little things like that. So, you know, on the first hand up, it might be orange, then the next would be black currant, then tropical. You know, what? by the end of it, I didn't know what I was drinking. <laughs> I was just like... <laughs> whatever they were giving me I was taking and then that was another wee game that I was playing in my head to figure out what am I going to get next or which are you know they're going to surprise me and things like that so thankfully you know that worked like a treat you know I didn't have any problems I was able to digest it because you know your body's not used to or it shouldn't be on a bike for that length of time and especially eating so it's hard to kind of to get the right foods that you can break down that you've still got enough calories that you're getting the intake that you need for the expenditure and that as well and then like I said there the odd millionaire shortbread that, that was thrown in as well so it was just it was probably all quite stapled really it wasn't anything kind of fancy anything exciting um but it just kind of got me through it really yeah, and it certainly sounds like it, it worked well for you. And yeah, sometimes you've just got to go with what you want. And yeah, the mix of sweet and savoury, I think, is is a big thing. I've certainly sweeted myself out on rides before and I'm just, yeah, just need something yeah. <laughs> a bit more salt. So I can completely appreciate that. Um, and then, yeah, obviously this is a massive, massive achievement, but have, have you got any plans for, for anything else or are you going to kind of settle down and do a bit more um, 24 hour TTs or, or what, what's next? Well, that's the thing because, you know, it's really kind of like two, three years in the planning and the making. So, you know, I remember coming back home afterwards thinking, right, that's it. You know, and you're kind of in that kind of like lull, you're kind of like, what do you do now? And because obviously you need time for your body to recover and, you know, kind of get back to yourself but at the same time you want to get back on your bike and even just if it's just cafe rides um and then you can think of well do I go do I do something else because you know I, I feel that you know I've still got my fitness I'm healthy um so that I should probably do something else so the other what a lot of people do after the um, land center John O'Groats is that they would continue to do a thousand miles so they would that's what Lynn did um that so she finished at John O'Groats and then she went off and did another 161 miles <laughs> to bring it up to the thousand miles um but I think logistically that would be a bit of a headache for us again to go all the way back down to do that so I had been looking into that but then there's different routes that you can do you can plan your own routes so we're thinking of do that in Scotland 
um, maybe for August, but prior to that, there's another record, the North Coast 500. Oh, yes, of course. Which, <laughs> it's kind of more yeah. on your doorstep, isn't it? Yep, it's on my doorstep <laughs> and I did a wee recce of part of it there a couple of months or a month or so ago um, just to see, you know, the steepest part. So over that 500 miles, it's the same amount of elevation as Land's End to John O'Groats. Yeah, the 10,000 metres because it's just up, down, up, down, up, down. So yeah, I'd like to give that a go, um, say early May. So that would be um, Guinness World Records and the Road Records Association as well. Um, now that that's part of one of their records. And then maybe look to do the thousand mile record in August, hopefully in Scotland. Oh, wow. Well, that sounds massively <laughs> exciting. And yes, yeah, certainly if you do the NC500 in May, yeah, we'll still be around. Mm. So we'll be aptly watching that, certainly. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Not off till the beginning of June. So yeah, yeah, yeah I'll definitely be, be watching out for that one. Um, and then would you would you ever go slower? Would you Do you think you'd ever be tempted to tour Land's End on a Groats? Or um, do you ever go out on a, a bike ride and just kind of mill around a bit? <laughs> Um, it's funny that because a lot of people have asked would I do it leisurely and I don't I don't think no I wouldn't because I think I just like if I'm going to do something like that I like to get my bike and do it without the whole kind of um with the luggage and the start and stopping you know I like to get it all done and then enjoy yourself afterwards <laughs> you know like we got to John O'Groats there and then you know that's when we had our Prosecco and our pizza and you know we had our fun fun then but it was kind of getting it done at that point um but I love after that you know it was great going around Stirling around you know my area here just having coffee rides and just getting on your bike for fun and you know not worrying about your heart rate no not worrying about your power just you know on these kind of days like that but I think that, you know, it's really important to do that. Although I do enjoy the training, I do enjoy, you know, the sessions that I do do get. But at the same time, it's nice just to go out for fun and just enjoy it. Um, because, you know, there are going to be days there that it is hard. And especially over the winter, you know, it's, you're going out there. And like on Sunday there, it was started off at one degree, two degrees, three degrees. And then it was, by the time I was finished, it was back to zero degrees. So, you know you put the, the work in like that um, for, for a reason um, and obviously for the love of it as well but yeah I um, I do actually enjoy putting on shorts t-shirts and going sunshine and you know and the coffee and cake rides too. Yeah and I think that's the thing I don't think you can um, do, go after these sort of records and, unless you've really got a love for cycling and, and seeing the world from from the seat of a bicycle so yeah I think it's it's not something you can do with without that kind of passion. Um, just before we, we finish up, Christina, um, I have got a little bit of tandem trivia for you. So I hope <laughs> you don't mind bearing with me. Yeah. Um, my first question is, have you ever ridden a tandem? I haven't, but it has been suggested. <laughs> <laughs> there's, um, there's obviously the um, male and female tandem record for Land's End to John O'Groats. Um, and that had been suggested by one of my club mates. Um, but I think probably at the time then it fell on deaf ears, but you never know. Yeah, I think I, I looked at that as well, being, I wonder what it is. And I looked at it and realised it was very fast. 
<laughs> and we don't go quite that fast. I don't know how you do it though. Just you must have like the coordination and just like the balance and everything just to be in tandem. Mm, I mean, it's yeah, you have to be very trusting of your, your pilot if you're on the back, shall we say. And yeah, you obviously yeah. have to be, you know, a very strong team. And it's it's the um it's the little complications, as you say, you know, you're in the realm of marginal gains. So every time you stop, that's losing time. And if one of you yeah. stop and the other doesn't, if one of you gets sleepy and the other doesn't, mm -hmm. you can soon become out of sync. And I think that's I think that would be one of the big challenges of riding um that sort of ride at that sort of pace would be trying to yeah. eliminate all those kind of little um little stops and little bits that, that we could easily mount up but yeah that would yeah if you've got like if you're feeling good but then you know your partner's not feeling good and you know it's going to be one's up one's down so it's trying to get that balance I think yeah and you can balance it out sometimes so sometimes you know if you're feeling good you can bring somebody else up but if you both bottom yeah. out it's a bit of a disaster <laughs> but, yeah equally sometimes it can be frustrating if you're just feeling a bit quiet and grumpy and and, and, and somebody else is in a completely different place so yeah that's that's certainly <laughs> one of the the challenges of, of riding yeah. tandem um but so imagine yeah you've had got a tandem ride set up who who would you um put on your tandem with you and this could be anybody it could be from the world of cycling or not it could be alive or dead anybody at all that you would fancy putting on a tandem ride with you oh that's an interesting one there um, I think the first person that came to mind there was Chris Hoy, thinking with these big legs that he could be uh, he could <laughs> just power along and, you know, it could be a nice and relaxing one. It could uh, be easy like that. Um, I think actually the likes, I was listening to a po podcast there recently with Chrissy Wellington, you know, and I really admire her, what, you know, the way that she's, or she came up through triathlon, um, what she's achieved. And, you know, I just really love her motivation her spirit um towards that and then obviously leaving the sport to have the children and kind of returning again um, i think she would be a really interesting tandem partner yeah i know that's great and yeah somebody you, you need to be have a good chat to somebody so i think yeah yeah i think so i think that could make uh, the 51 hours go pretty quickly <laughs> yes definitely fantastic and um, and do you think you'd be on the front or on the back are you a bit of a control freak or do you think you could you could have your legs off on the back well if it was Chris Hoy I'd certainly be on the back yeah that's fair enough <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can appreciate that <laughs> yeah sure um and then um when we're, we're riding tandem we rather cheesily say we're joined by the frame is there anything um potentially not for, for the lead jog ride because you must have been very minimalistic but is there anything you're joined by the frame to when you do ride is there any particular bit of kit particular food stuff anything like that that you know is is your kind of maybe a creature comfort or maybe it's just kind of a, a go-to that you you wouldn't do without yeah it's the 12 hour bib shorts <laughs> um <laughs> that that is a saving grace um thankfully i'm place that um, sponsored by Pactimo oh, so they've got these um yeah they're called 12 hour bib shorts and they've got the chamois in them um which is obviously for endurance riders and the difference that that makes over that length of time so it's you know it's, it's actually well it's comfortable but over 24 30 hours nothing probably is comfortable but it does take that kind of that soreness away um 
but you know even if it's only just like um, an hour ride that you're doing or if it's like say like that 24 hours these are the ones that you just put on and you just know that there's a comfort in them so it's something simple like that really and just you know you get on the bike and you know it's going to be comfortable ish <laughs> Yeah, no, it's definitely the, the simple things. And yeah, I might have, might have a, look yeah. at, a look at those. Absolutely, totally recommend them. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's always more options for comfort, aren't there? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and then last but not least, um, why should we ride around the world on a tandem bicycle and break the world record? <laughs> why should you? Yeah. Why should you not? <laughs> That's fair. No, I think it's it's a fantastic um, opportunity to see the world and to see where you're going to be going and doing it on a bike there that you can see everything. And that's what I found with cycling is that it takes you to places that you wouldn't normally go to. And if you're driving in a car, you don't observe it. So, you know, part of me is quite envious to see that you're going off and to watch it. But I'd be quite happy to watch, um, watch from behind a laptop or watching at a dot. Um, and just following your progress there because I think that's just going to be an amazing adventure you know as soon as I heard what you were doing it was just going to be wow <laughs> you know for that length of time and like seeing a tandem and you know there is no getting away from each other so I think you kind of got the added challenges as well but a solo um, endurance rider would would be able to cope with so I think just having the experiences of going through all these different countries as well, which is going to be amazing. And, you know, even simple things to like finding foods that you like or finding foods that is going to keep you going and enough of it. Yeah. So I think there's going to be plenty ups, plenty downs and in-betweens. And it is, it's, you know, it's a massive thing that you're taking on there. And just like I said, I think there's a lot of people that would be quite envious just watching you doing it but obviously you're wishing you all the best to do it oh fantastic yeah no it, it is it's um very exciting as you say there's lots of challenges along the way but i think that's why that makes it all the more exciting and yeah we, we hope that we do have plenty of dot watches and hopefully we'll plenty of photos videos oh, and everything <laughs> for everybody to... yeah i think that is it's only well, it was only actually recently when i was watching mike doing the um Edinburgh to London dot watching I thought this is too stressful <laughs> you know I'd actually, I prefer to be the dot <laughs> and the dot watcher but I think you guys are going to be doing it'll be more enjoyable to watch you know yeah, you can just see steadier pace yeah you can check in once a week and and see where we are yeah yeah no, absolutely no I'm looking forward to all that Oh, fantastic. Well, Christina, thank you so much for your, your time. And yeah, I'm really excited to see what you get up to in the future. And yet again, congratulations on, on your, your epic record. Thank you. And likewise, I can't wait to see you guys and your dots. <laughs>